Welcome back to another episode of the Sex Mansers Podcast. On this episode, I'm going to go through and talk about one thing that you can do to create a marriage that has intentionality and purpose, talk about some do's and don'ts, and answer some questions and discuss scenarios of something that may happen in your marriage and how to go about solving it. So let's first start off by talking about how to create a marriage that has intentionality and purpose. Now, one of the things that you should have done before you got married is have a discussion about how you view what your marriage is going to be like, what your life is going to be like, what the values and goals of your household is going to be. But when we are leading up to the wedding day, we forget to have these conversations because we're oh so in love, we're excited. There's so many things that are about to change. And for women, women go through the most changes after marriage. You know, you change your last name, you start going from trying to do everything you can to prevent getting pregnant to realizing that you're going to have to deliberately try to get pregnant and grow the household. I mean, there's a lot of things going on, and we forget to have some very important discussions. And when we forget to have these discussions, what happens? You know, you have one spouse thinking, okay, life is going to take us down road A. The other spouse thinks life is going to take us down road B. You may have had some vague conversation, and so you're trying to pull each other down these different roads. And so you create friction because you start seeing yourself as competitors rather than a team. And what's worse is that you get frustrated at the other spouse because you believe that you agreed to go down the road that you're trying to take us down and that the other person is not holding up their end of the bargain. And that person is thinking the same thing, going, why are you doing this? You know, we had a clear plan. We were going to go down road A and you're trying to get us down road B and you're just creating so much problems. And this creates a lot of friction. And it's the lack of communication and planning that causes so much problems in relationships. The number one cause of divorce, at least in the United States, is money fights and money problems. And a large part of those money fights and money problems is the lack of having a budget, a financial plan. You're just both getting up, going to work, earning a paycheck, and then you're just going around going, oh, yeah, I have money for this, and just spending things aimlessly without a plan, which is why there's so many people who have, are so many couples who have been on the verge of divorce who went through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. And as a result, their marriage healed and got a hell of a lot better. Why? Because they started communicating more in their relationship, but they also started alleviating the financial problems because they've gone through and created intentionality. They created a plan. They got together and go, this is how much money we're going to make this month. Here's how we are going to use it in order to achieve what our defined financial goals are, which also means you need to start having conversations about what your financial goals are and then develop your budget around that. And because you have agreed upon goals and you've come together and agreed on your financial plan to get there, all of a sudden the money fights and the money problems go away. You know how it is you're going to spend money. You're not going off and both just spending money aimlessly and then blaming each other for all of the, the other spending 
going, oh, you just wasted your money. I bought what I needed, what I really needed, what I really deserved. You just wasted your money on silly crap. And then your spouse is going around and thinking the same thing about you. And then all of a sudden, you don't have enough money to pay the bills. This creates a lot of stress. And this is why when you first start doing a budget and getting your financial plan together and in order, it starts creating great, healthy marriages again. But a budget is not the only document that you need. And no, this is not an episode about doing a budget. This is an episode about other things that you need to be doing to communicate and create a purposeful marriage. And I'm going to tell you what one of the best documents or one of the best things that you can do in order to accomplish that. And I call that document a family constitution. That's right, a family constitution. And I get the idea of a family constitution from Dave Ramsey's uh, legacy journey, although I have modified it a little bit in order to create a marriage with purpose and intentions. And when you think about it, it makes sense. You know, and I will be explaining it a little bit further here, but yes, it makes sense. When you take a look at the habits of successful people, what do you notice? They write things down. People who are successful with money have a budget and a financial plan. The people who are successful in their career have career goals that are written down with a plan of how to get from where they are to where they want to be. We often want to find shortcuts. What are the secrets of highly successful people? And we realize that those secrets are just simple tried and true methods that people have been using for decades, but or centuries even. And yet, very few of us actually take the time to do it. So, what is a family constitution? A family constitution is just you outlining the purpose and intentions of your family and how you're going to act and behave towards each other and your take on life. So, whether you're just getting ready and leading up to your wedding day, or you've already been married for a while and you know, it's just, you're not getting out of your marriage what you had hoped. You're not feeling satisfied or, you know, fulfilled in your marriage. This is something that you and your spouse should sit down together and outline and create. So here's what it would be in a family constitution. And I will use some examples as far as what me and my wife have in our family constitution, some of the outlining sections. So the first section that you would do in your family constitution is what you feel is the mission statement of your marriage, right? This is what you feel is your overarching philosophy, your overarching, you know, belief in how you want your family to be, how you want to raise your family. This should only be between one to three sentences long. I mean, this is just kind of the general outline for the rest of the sections that you're going to put in your constitution. Now, if you are leading up to your wedding day, right, you're not yet married. One of the first sections that you would have after you get through what you believe, you know, the mission statement or philosophy of your life is going to be is prior to marriage. 
uh, you should write down in the first section, or I guess this would be the second section, actually, is quickly come to an agreement as far as how many kids you're going to have in your marriage. I mean, this is one of those things where when we get married, we know intuitively that we're going to, you know, build up the family. You know, that marriage is going to lead to having kids. Although the problem comes in when you have different ideas as far as how many kids you want to have. One spouse may only want one kid and another spouse may want to have four. And so you don't really talk about it, you know, beforehand. And then after the first kid is born, one of you is thinking, okay, we're done. And the other one's like, no, 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 we got three more to go. And then you start having a little bit of an argument here over how many kids uh, you want. And this creates friction in the spouse that wants more kids ends up feeling like I'm being gypped. I wanted to have a nice big family. I'm a big, huge family type person. And now you start feeling resentful, maybe a little bit to the other spouse because, you know, you're being denied that size of a family that you want. And the other spouse feels like, hey, 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 you know, one kid is plenty enough and I don't like feeling pressured. You know, if it's a situation where the husband wants more kids than the wife, then the wife, you know, feels like she's being pressured to, you know, have more kids than she wanted to go through more pregnancies, you know, more deliveries, which it can be painful going through all the breastfeeding and you know, things that the guys cannot do as far as, you know, the pregnancy and initial uh, care for the child. Now, if you use formula, okay. You know, fair enough, the guy can easily do the formula and take turns. But if you're doing breastfeeding, well, that kind of leaves the guy with not much <laughs> in the way of being able to do anything. Although, I guess you could pump and then the guy can warm up you know, the breast milk and do some feeding, but then you still got a pump. And so if the husband wants more children uh, than the wife and the wife feels pressured to have more children, you know, in order to satisfy the husband, well, that can lead to issues of resentment, you know, feeling pressured into a life that you did not actually want. And there is a situation of vice versa where you know, the wife wants more kids than the husband and the husband feels like, oh my God, I got to deal with more kids than I think I can handle. This means I am going to have to put in this much more hours at work in order to be able to provide for the college funds and all of that. And so it's just best if upfront before your wedding day that you start creating the family constitution. And one of the first sections is coming to an agreement as far as how many kids you want to have and then how many, how much uh, space in between each kid that you want to have. So there is no surprise. There is no force. You're going off and going, okay, we're going to have this many kids. We're going to space out this amount of time in between each kid. And so now you have a plan, you know, and you may even put in to that how long after your wedding day you're going to wait to have the first child. And so now you have a plan, you have an agreement as far as family size, how many kids you're going to have, all of that, and you just stick to that plan. Now, depending on your feelings after you have a kid or two, you can go off and revise that plan 
because maybe, you know, you initially wanted a big family and then you realize that you can't handle, you know, a big family. And so you can come back together and decide whether or not, you know, you're going to change your mind on these, how many kids you're going to have. But unless you agree to change it, you're going to stick to your original plan. So that is one of the things that you would put in prior to marriage. Now, let's say you're already married and you've already had all the kids that you're going to have and you've decided, hey, you know what? I don't need this because we've already taken care of it. We know we're done having kids and maybe you've already gone through for that final birth control solution, whether it's a vasectomy, tubes tied or whatever. You just know that you're completely done with kids. In that particular case, you would just go ahead and skip this section and go on to the next section, which is you agreeing on what your household's religious or spiritual beliefs are or your lack of religious or spiritual beliefs. You know, it's amazing here that we don't have a whole lot of these conversations beforehand. Maybe one of you is religious, the other one isn't, and that 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 difference creates some tension, uh, especially when it comes to how you plan to raise your kids. Do you want to raise them with religious beliefs or not? And if one of you is religious, the other one isn't, or let's say you're both religious, but you have different beliefs, you know, whether you uh, are Christians and you belong to different denominations, you know, Methodist versus Catholic versus Protestant, uh, whether you're Muslim, uh, they have different, you know, um, subsections uh, within their beliefs. And, you know, when you take a look at it, most religions have different denominations with slightly different uh, traditions and beliefs. And so you're going to have to come to an agreement on that. You know, not having an agreement on your spirituality or lack thereof is going to create friction. You know, and you may be thinking that the other person is going to change, you know, their beliefs or, you know, convert over uh, to your beliefs and they're believing uh, the same thing about you. So you want to go through and, you know, agree on that beforehand so that you can avoid having this fight you know, later on. And, you know, a lot of what I say about a family constitution is about taking a look at what are common disagreements or, you know, issues that come up within marriage and already having a plan and agreement beforehand so that you can avoid these fights and that you can continue to build the life that you want. So, you know, having some sort of, you know, agreement on how you view religion and spirituality and going through and having things like, well, how are we going to practice this faith? Are you just going to be kind of, okay, we'll just show up to, if you're a Christian, you know, uh, you know, church on Sundays, but outside of that one hour a week, we're not going to do much. Or are you going to go through and put in, okay, we go to church on Sunday, we're going to get involved in one or two church groups, we're going to have time set aside for us to read the Bible together or, you know, whatever your religious, um, you know, books are, you know, kind of going through and talking about how you, you're going to practice your faith as well as what your faith is, 
you know, again, though, if you don't have any religious or spiritual beliefs, you can skip uh, this section, but you do want to have an agreement on that. All right, so the next section is going to be two parts, and it's going to be outlining your family's commitment and relationship to each other. Now, the first part of this section is going to be detailing your marriage and your commitment to each other's emotional and sexual needs. That's right. I said that you're going to have an agreement about your sexual needs. Now, when we take a look at, you know, issues within a marriage and we take a look at people whose marriages were on the complete verge of collapse and how they came back from it, there's usually two things that they did. They started coming together and agreeing on their finances, doing a budget and financial plan, and increasing the communication in their marriage that way. The second thing that they do is they tend to start on the sexual needs of their marriage, the intimacy needs of their marriage. And they'll end up doing something like a seven-day sex challenge or a 14- or 30-day sex challenge. and the combination between starting to get together and planning your finances and engaging in one of these sex challenges tend to reignite the marriage and even has a tendency to bring it back stronger than ever. Well, why not, you know, go ahead and nip that problem in the butt before it even comes about, you know, and this is, know, where you're going to go off and talk about your emotional and sexual needs. So in this section, you're going to describe first off, you know, your sexual needs and talking about, okay, we're agreeing that as part of uh, the intimacy in our marriage, we're going to have sex this many times a week. And within that parameters, it's going to be expected that the husband initiates sex you know, this amount of times that week, and the wife initiates sex X amount of time during the week, and that we're committed to having sex this many times a week, regardless of whether or not we're in the mood. You know, the problem that some people have is that they only have sex when they are both in the mood. No, 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 no. For an intimate relationship that is closely connected, you don't wait until the mood just strikes. You have intentionality with the intimacy in your marriage. And you plan out that you're going to have sex this many times. You know, whether that's twice a week. And so uh, one day a week, you know, the husband initiates. One day a week, the wife initiates. Or you do it, you know, three times a week and then you alternate. You know, how often, you know, like week A, the husband will initiate twice twice and the wife once or and then week B the wife will initiate twice and the husband once you know you you kind of go ahead and detail uh, that out you know as well in the beginning because you're committing to satisfying each other's sexual and physical needs and you're communicating that up front i mean you can even get as detailed as saying what days of the week you're going to go off and you're going to have sex uh, within your marriage. You know, this way, you know, you have constant intimacy. A lot of people will talk about in marriage and relationship 
uh, podcast talking about having a sex schedule. This is something that has become incredibly popular, you know, as a sex schedule. And so you're making sure that each other are not, you know, frustrated, left hanging because of mismatched libidos. You're agreeing to this up front so that you don't wait until everything's, you know, hanging on by a thread. And by agreeing to this, your libidos will actually come into an alignment as your body gets used to what you agree to your frequency of intimacy. And this is something that you're going to stick to regardless of whether you're in the mood or not. Also in this section is you detailing your commitment to each other's emotional needs. That's right. You're going to have this in this document. And so this would be things like, this is how many times, you know, a week or how many times a month you're going to commit to a date night. And a date night is, you know, the two of you either, you know, getting out of the house or whether you stay at home, but it's a night where you are just focused on, you know, building your relationship, you know, where you do something together. And no, this isn't going to be you just watching a movie together every single night or a TV show every single night. No, 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 no. This is going to be where you intentionally do something, you know, together, whether you go outside and just walk the trails and get some exercise together while you talk or you do some other activity. You know, and these are non-sexual activities, you know, uh, at home. And if you have kids, this is going to be you saying, okay, well, these are the nights uh, of the month or of the week that we're going to drop the kids off at grandma and grandpa's house for a few hours. And during this time, we're going to shut off our phones and we're just going to focus and communicate with each other, just enjoying each other's company. And so, yes, you have outlined, you know, both your sexual and emotional needs, you know, going through and talking about how many times you're going to have sex and how many times you're going to have a date night, just the two of you. And guess what? Date night can be on one of your scheduled sex nights. Yes, that is a great way, you know, to lead up to sexual intimacy, you know, is going off and just spending time together and flirting with each other and making a game of it, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe, you know, you get one of those um, remote controlled vibrators and then you go to the restaurant and you give your husband the remote control and just let him just have some fun with it. But in any event, you're going off and you're outlining this, you know, and agreeing to this. And this is going to help you stick to, you know, the emotional and physical needs and help build that deeper connection. And when you think about this, what I'm doing with a family constitution is basically combining multiple uh, tools that relationship therapists use and just kind of combining it into one overarching document that you are putting in writing and agreeing to. Now, the next part of the family outline is just an agreement or, you know, you two coming together about how it is you plan on raising your kids. You know, do you plan on raising them uh, with spiritual beliefs, non-spiritual beliefs, uh, your commitment to your kids' education um, and learning process, 
your dedication to, you know, how much uh, of the week you're going to make sure that you get some one-on-one time or, you know, family time uh, together and just build your overarching family. You know, it's really kind of sad how many kids, you know, there are out out in the world that, you know, they exist, the parents are around, you know, they're all living together, but they hardly ever see their parents, you know, because, you know, one may be a workaholic or even when uh, the parents are home, the parents are just sitting in front of the TV or playing video games or messing around on the computer instead of having some dedication to family time, building, you know, that, you know, family and taking care of your kids' emotional needs and, you know, their educational uh, upbringing. And this may be, you know, the lack of doing this may be the reason why, you know, we see more and more, you know, people living in their parents' basement, you know, well into even their 30s because they're not raised to be well-adjusted, functioning human beings capable of taking care of themselves. And so it's not only about your commitment to how you're going to raise your kids, how you're going to address their emotional needs, family bonding, and educational needs, but it's also going to outline, you know, what you expect your kids' work ethics to be. You know, um, what ages you believe they should start learning to do chores around the house, how you're going to raise them to be financially responsible, at what age are they going to be expected to get their first part-time job and remain employed. And as far as how you're going to deal with when they're, you know, 16 and they get their driver's license, are they going to be, you know, expected to buy their own vehicle? Are you going to have a matching plan? You're basically coming into an agreement as far as how you plan to raise your kids. And this is a conversation that a lot of people do not have and should be having. And related to that is the fifth section, which is you and your wife uh, getting together or you and your spouse, depending on which one of you is listening to this, coming into an agreement as far as how you view work-life balance. I mean, if one of you is a workaholic and the other one is definitely a social butterfly who believes life happens outside of work, that's going to create some friction. You know, and so here it is, you're going to detail work-life balance, how you view work, your work ethic, you know, your commitment to, you know, family time versus income earning time, whether you're going to be, you know, an employee working your way up through another company, whether you want to build, you know, your own businesses and create some sort of freedom lifestyle, you know, what is that? If you're going to be an entrepreneur you know, what are the defined hours in which you will be, you know, working versus, you know, having free for your spouse, that type of thing. You know, you want to go off and detail your work-life balance plan with your spouse and have an agreement on that. There's nothing that's going to, well, I shouldn't say nothing that's going to cause more friction, but, you know, what's going to cause a lot of friction is you having a different idea on work-life balance. One feeling like they're neglected quite a bit and not getting enough attention. And the other one feeling like, man, you just take up so much of my time. And so, yes, you do want to come into an agreement here on your work-life balance and what that is going to look like. This should be 
you know, I, I would like to be able to go through and talk to you a little bit more about this, but it, it's just going to be so personalized in this. So one of you may be saying, okay, okay, so here's the deal. You know, work-life balance. Monday through Friday, I put in 50 hours a week or 60 hours a week. But on the weekends, when I'm home, I'm home. This means that, you know, the phones are off for this period of time during the day and that it's all about you. Or maybe it is, hey, we're only going to be working, you know, 40 hours a week and we're going to make sure that we have, you know, this many nights a week with no distractions, just the two of us, or uh, this, you know, once a month, we're going to travel to X place, or we're going to travel to do some activity. I mean, you're just really going to be taking a look at what your work-life balance views are, right? And then the last section is you coming into an agreement on how your family is expected to behave in the community, how you treat friends and strangers alike. And this would also include expectations, you know, or an agreement on your views of volunteering and getting involved in the community. I, th these are great things to have in a family constitution document. Now, you don't have to call it a family constitution. You can call it, you know, whatever you want. And you can add sections or you can remove sections. What a family constitution is really about is taking a look at the different aspects of life and marriage and then coming together and creating an agreement on your views of how you're going to handle or go about life and your marriage. And even after you write this, it's not like, okay, this is it. This is it. No, no. It's always a good idea that every so often you come back because life is going to change. You know, your career path may change. Your views on how many kids you want may change. Your views on, you know, um, how much you need emotionally and sexually will change. You know, a lot of things will change as you get older and life goes on, you know, as you learn more. And so, you know, maybe you come uh, to a, the last section being how often you're going to revisit and, you know, update what your views in the family constitution are and come to an agreement on that. Now, it's important that as you go through all of these, you write it down, you know, you can, you know, and you can decide how you're going to format it, you know, a heading with bullet points. Uh, paragraph forms, you know, however it is, you know, formatting is not the important part of this, but it is important that after you come off and you take a look at all the aspects of your marriage and life and family, you know, that you write it down and you both sign it. And this will hold you both accountable to what it is you had agreed to to build a marriage and life that is intentional and full of purpose. Continuing on in this discussion here about a family constitution, you may need some additional ideas of what to put into your family constitution. And so I was going around and I was thinking about this and 
what are some of the healthy relationship practices couples do every day or seven healthy uh, relationship practices happy couples do every day. And I found this uh, article here and it's a pretty good one. And so we're going to go through and take a look at some of the things that you need to make sure that you're intentional about in order to create a strong, happy, healthy relationship. And so one of the first things that you would do is share your inner world. You know, this is one of those things where you ever just kind of go through, look at your spouse, you know they're thinking, you know they have some ideas, but they're not sharing it with you and you feel like they're holding back and that there's something that they want to do or something that they feel uh, is not being fulfilled, but they won't open up and communicate with you. Now, women, I want to make sure that you understand this, that guys have what's called an empty box. There are guys, uh, and I'm one of them, that can go in and, you know, just have a blank expression and just kind of going through silently, you know, spaced out. And we're not actually thinking about anything. All right. So it's not always the case that the guy, you know, has something on their mind that they're just not sharing with you. Sometimes they just go to their empty box and it's a source of just relaxation, you know, complete. It, it almost, you know, looks like thinking. But really, it's not. It's just, you know, mindlessly looking out uh, into space and completely zoning out everything without a thought in our head. All right. But there are times when guys do think and women, we know you think a lot. Women, you have a more active brain than men do. I mean, things are just constantly going off in your head and a lot of your thoughts and, you know, mental capacity is tied to emotions. You tie emotions to events, tie emotions to, you know, things uh, that are happening, you know, all the time. And you kind of process things uh, through uh, emotion. And so if something happens and you associate it uh, with a negative uh, emotion, you tend to dwell on it quite a bit. Guys, we can a lot of times shrug a lot of things off and just move on. We're better at compartmentalizing and shutting down emotions. But in any event, you need to share your inner world, you know, with each other. You know, what your thoughts are, you know, thoughts that you would normally consider private that you don't discuss with anybody. That's right. You know, the ones that you feel like you're shy. Oh, they're going to think I'm silly. You know, you need to share that. You know, my wife, she used to do this, you know, quite a bit where she would be thinking something and, you know, maybe she would laugh or, you know, maybe, you know, she would get distracted and she'd be thinking something, but she didn't want to tell me what it was because she lacked kind of the self-confidence at first. I mean, at first she was a really, really shy person when we first met, which was kind of an oddity because I was really the outgoing person, a social butterfly, the one who was always looking for a good time and a party and always telling, you know, jokes and stories. And so getting her to open up uh, her inner world uh, was not easy, especially when it came to sexuality. You know, we met uh, back in high school and that's when we first started dating, you know, and I graduated in 2002. So we've been together for quite some time. And 
you know, at the time though, uh, she was a virgin, you know, and so getting her to open up and gain confidence in her sexuality was something that was, you know, well, not easy at first, you know, but as time went on and, you know, we discussed things and, you know, I was very supportive of some of the things that she was curious about and wanting to try. She gained more confidence. But sharing your inner world is not just about sexuality. It's about communication in your relationship. And so you got to share your innermost, deepest personal thoughts. You know, these are things, you know, I guess the best way to explain it is, if you would share it with your girlfriends, you would share it with your husband. And even the stuff that is so personal, you wouldn't share with your girlfriends because, you know, it's just way too personal or whatever. You still share it with your husband and guys, vice versa. You share everything with your wife. Now, as time goes on, yeah, you start realizing there are certain topics that your spouse is just not interested in and doesn't want to engage in. You know, an example of this is maybe one of you is, you know, very political, right? One of you is a political junkie following all the news and the other spouse couldn't give a rat's ass about politics. And every time you talk about politics, they just kind of space off, right? Going, oh, no. All right, that that, that's just one example. Another example could be, you know, talking about car engines or talking about, you know, the different, you know, makeups, you know, the newest line from L'Oreal or whatever. I mean, you kind of get an idea of what topics, you know, are, you know, the, your partner is just has zero interest in. And let's face it, they're not exactly important topics. Now, I guess if you're a model, the latest, you know, makeup line that comes out, you know, would be important to you and your husband should have to, you know, get used to having those conversations and discussing those things and will have to learn about makeup. And if your career is based off of, you know, the guy's career is based off of mechanics or whatever, you might have to you know, learn to take an interest in engine designs and all of that. But for the most part, you can realize which conversations are not necessarily, you know, of interest to your partner and non-important. But in all reality, though, you know, one of the things that creates a great marriage is deep, consistent levels of communication. And so you want to share your inner world, your most personal, intimate thoughts with your partner, holding nothing back from them. Right? Another thing uh, that healthy relationships do is they work on trying to make life easier for each other. This is a situation where, for example, let's say one of you, um, you know, because of your career, periodically has to put in a lot of overtime you know, because of a project with a tight deadline from time to time. Well, the other spouse would make life easier by picking up, you know, the slack, you know, around the house, you know, doing more dishes, taking care of the kids, doing more, you know, planning of family events, and, you know, just taking care of all of other life's necessity for that short period of time. And it doesn't matter if it's the wife that's a project manager and the husband 
should be picking up the slack uh, with chores and taking care of the kids or vice versa. It, it, it doesn't matter. And there may be, you know, periods of time like going back to school or maybe you're engaged in some entrepreneurial endeavor and you have certain skills that your spouse lacks. And so you work together on how to do that or, you know, you work on giving your spouse time to work on those extra you know, entrepreneurial activities. But in any event, you take a look at, you know, some of uh, your personal goals together, and then you take a look at trying to find ways to make life easier for each other, you know, and helping each other out wherever possible, right? And, of course, this makes sense, right? Have you ever seen a happy relationship in which they make life more difficult for each other? Or have you seen a really happy, healthy relationship in which one spouse doesn't care about what's going on with the other spouse, right? And doesn't lift a finger to help the other spouse, right? So it makes sense that you try to find ways to help make each other's life easier. And, you know, there's a lot of ways you can do that, you know, taking care of each other's emotional and physical needs and just picking up extra slack when the other one has a period of higher, you know, demands in their career. You know, another thing is you share your appreciation. And this is one of those things where it's like, well, of course they appreciate, but you got to understand, you know, that you need to communicate things. You can't just go, well, they should just automatically know I love them. No, you know, yeah, well, yes, on some level, but it's still nice to hear it. It's still nice to say it to each other. You know, it's still nice to, oh, should have muted uh, the computer there. Oh, well, that will probably get through. But it's still nice to go through and just say it and have a reminder. You know, the I love yous and, man, thank you so much for doing that X without asking. And, man, you're just amazing as a person. You know, I, I get that we can get complacent and just think, oh, the person should automatically know. But you should verbalize, you know, your appreciation and love and be intentional about doing so. Okay. And just as we discussed earlier, when we talked about the family constitution and coming into an agreement about taking care of each other's, you know, physical and emotional needs, this would fall under, you know, the heading of activate, uh, actively cultivating passion in your relationship. You know, passion isn't just going to be something that happens, you know, once you get past the honeymoon phase is not something that's just going to be random and spontaneous. No, you got to be active and finding ways to cultivate passion in each other's uh, lives. You know, this is things like, you know, taking time to just cuddle with each other, making sure to make out like your, you know, teenagers dating each other. You know, physical touch, you know, grabbing each other's butts and, you know, kind of, you know, kissing on each other's necks. This can be just going out and having fun outside. You know, maybe you go to a playground and get on the merry-go-round and just have some kind of fun there or just go for walks or having, you know, romantic candlelight, uh, candlelit dinners. You got to be active and creating passion in your relationship. Because if you're not active about it, you would be, 
well, it's, I mean, you may be surprised, but it's actually not a surprise how much, you know, the passion can just die out in a relationship and you just feel like every day is the same, you know, rinse, wash, repeat, and you feel like there is very little spontaneity, happiness, and, you know, excitement in your life. And so you want to make sure to, you know, be intentional and purposeful about keeping passion alive in your relationship. Another thing that you'll want to do uh, for a healthy relationship is discuss your schedule. I know, you know, it's amazing. We know all the things that we should be doing in order to accomplish our goals, to be able to accomplish, you know, a happy, fulfilling relationship. And part of that is high levels of communication and high levels of planning what it is we're going to do. And yet we never take the time to actually put together our plan. And so one of the things that you need to do is discuss your schedule. You know, here's, you know, what I'm going to have as a schedule for work. Here's some of the things I and commitments I already have. And here's, you know, the times that we need to focus on getting together. And, you know, your husband uh, has a schedule of things. You have a schedule of things. And then you get together, discuss uh, your schedule, and then find times in your schedule uh, to schedule time for each other. You know, and it's amazing how great a schedule works, just like how great a budget works. You know, a schedule is really a budget for your time. And if you do not have a budget for how you're going to spend your time, a lot of your time is going to be wasted. You're going to wonder why it is you're not getting anywhere, doing anything, you know, because you're not, you know, being intentional with your time. And you need to be intentional about it. And that intentionality is, you know, your productive time, your relationship time, family time. You know, I would even say, you know, as, you know, clearly evident uh, by earlier discussion is that you would even put on your schedule, hey, this is when we're going to have sex. And I understand that for some of you, you're thinking, well, sex should be spontaneous and passionate and whatever. No, you should schedule it so that you ensure that you are keeping up with your sexual intimacy. And it's also, you know, more exciting having a sex schedule because when you know, hey, this is when we are going to be having sex, you start thinking about it and you find that you're in the mood more because you're thinking about it. You're kind of developing some plans as far as what you want to do. You know, some things that you may want to see if your partner wants to try. You know, do you want to introduce, you know, um, tying each other down for the first time or, you know, role playing or, you know, things like that. You start thinking about it because when you see on your schedule, hey, I'm going to have sex tonight, you're going to start thinking about sex and therefore you're going to be more in the mood, you know, and so you want to make sure that you have a schedule, uh, both of you, you stick to that schedule, you know, to make sure that you accomplish everything that you want to have done. You share your schedule, discuss your schedule, and come to an agreement, you know, on your schedule. Now, there are some things that, you know, you don't really get to agree upon. If you work for another company, you know, you don't, you know, your spouse doesn't get a say in what your work schedule is, your boss is. 
but you just kind of take a look at outside of those work hours coming to an agreement on what your schedule is. Right? You got to make sure you share affectionate touch. Again, you know, this is part of keeping the passion uh, alive, you know, going through, you know, kind of grabbing each other's butts, hugging each other, you know, long embraces, just kind of doing some, you know, physical flirtation with each other. And of course, you got to make sure you have fun together, you know, making sure that you get out and you do things, you know, go to amusement parks together, go, you know, engage in some games and do a bunch of stuff, right? You got to make sure that you have fun and passion, high levels of communication, and just being intentional about showing each other how much you care, love, and appreciate each other. Now that we've gone ahead and we've talked about some of the habits that happy, healthy relationships have in practice on an almost daily basis, we should also start talking about some of the mistakes that you are making, especially when it comes to sex. Yes, you may be going off, I don't make any mistakes. We've been having sex for five years, 10 years, 15 years. We are an expert at it. And yet, you are probably still making some common mistakes when it comes uh, to sex and your sex life. And so we should take a few moments here to go ahead and talk about that. So let's go through, and this is kind of one of those lists of you know problems, just like the seven things that you should do. But here is a, a list of some of the mistakes that you may be having as it comes to your sexual relationship. The first mistake is having a limited definition of sex. You know, if you're thinking that sex is just the penetration part, the moment that, you know, his penis is inserted into her vagina, then everything else is kind of a sideshow to the main event. You have a very limited view of what sex is. You know, sex is the umbrella term for everything involved in your intimate relationship. Now, of course, this includes penetration, but it also includes oral, hand jobs, fingering, and having, you know, more diversified, you know, sex life, you know, spicing things up. You know, it can also be exotic dancing. You know, ladies, when was the last time you went off and you strip danced for your man? You know, it could be sexting, uh, dirty talk, you know, just sensual kissing and hugging. And, you know, those things are included in your sex life. That Those things are included in what sex is. Basically, foreplay is part of sex. And you should treat it as such, not just the main event of penetration. Another mistake that you may be making is, You're going too fast, right? You're just rushing into it. Now, I get it. There are times when, of course, you need, you know, a quickie because you don't have a whole lot of time. But, you know, sex should be something that you take your time with. You know, have some slow moments, some passionate moments. And, yes, you can have rough moments. I mean, it is sad to think about all the people who are out there thinking that, Sex is an activity that only lasts between two to five minutes. 
I mean, my God, if sex was defined as a two to five minute activity, I would be very disappointed. And so would my wife. You know, when we go off and, you know, we have sex, even uh, at the moment of penetration, once penetration begins, it's still a good, you know, 30 to 40 minutes, you know, up to even an hour and as long as an hour and a half. You know, it, it is a long process and it is just filled with passion and pleasure. And that time goes by really fast, uh, too. But, you know, sex is also the arousal, the, you know, foreplay, you know, for women to be fully aroused and ready, right? Uh, her, her vagina, it, it needs time to lengthen, to open up and to lubricate. Now, of course, by the time penetration, you know, happens, you know, my wife is very well lubricated. And now there are, of course, times when we do need to take a break in order to, you know, let that lubrication dry out uh, quite a bit. And that's all natural. But she needs to get very well lubricated so that it doesn't have so much friction and, you know, discomfort, but to be fully pleasurable and enjoyable, you know, and her body, you know, needs, you know, to have spots that are engorged, you know, a switched on situation, let the blood, you know, rush down and fill up into her clit and let her G spot, you know, get, you know, more sensitive, you know, to make it more pleasurable. It isn't just wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. No, 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 no. This is something that you need to go off and take your time with. You know, make a night of it. You know, would it really be that bad, you know, for you to spend an hour or two, you know, intimately engaged in sexual activities with each other? You know, nonstop, you know, going through, you know, maybe take a little bit of a break here and there. You know, start off with a sensual massage and then get into the foreplay of oral and then taking your time to, you know, have some slow romantic or, you know, just kind of, you know, have, you know, a lot of hard pounding and fast action, but, you know, don't let it, you know, be done with in two to three, two to five minutes. My God, take some time to get her nice and warmed up. Uh, now, if you have issues with that, you know, standema, there are things uh, that you can do to address that. You know, some uh, lubricants, some sexual arousals, you know, um, you know that you could take. You know, there are ways uh, to deal with that. But in general, the more often that you have sex and are able to train your body to that, the longer uh, and, you know, more standema that you will have to really enjoy things. Another mistake that you may be making is that you're only having sex with your partner. And no, I'm not talking about open marriages. I'm talking about masturbation. You know, something that we all talk about on, I mean, something that no one talks about really, but, but we know everyone does self pleasuring, you know, as we normally think of it though, uh, we're not talking about the race to the orgasm, you know, where you're horny, you know, your spouse isn't around, so you just go in and, have, you know, masturbate where you just try to orgasm as quickly as possible, right? Because you're 
afraid of getting caught. You're, you know, you are embarrassed by the idea that you're resorting to masturbation for your sexual needs. No, no, you should take some time, you know, to go ahead and masturbate and take your time with the masturbation. You know, go off and really get it to a fulfilling, pleasurable state. Whether you have to go through and use toys, uh, lubricants, or, you know, whatever. But just take some time, you know, and masturbate, you know. Instead of doing, you know, two to five minutes, maybe you take, you know, 20 to 30 minutes with your masturbation. You know, really go through and explore, you know, yourself for what not just gets you off, but what really feels good and adds to uh, prolonged pleasure. Right. Now, another mistake that you may be making is that you're only doing it when you're in, when you're in the mood. Yes, I know I've brought this up before, but you know, if you're only thinking about it when, you know, the mood strikes, you're going to have a very limited sex life. You know, you're going to go off and you want it to be spontaneous and this is uh, a thinking that leads to couples only having sex once in a blue moon, you know, once a month or once every three months, because they're just not inspired. But here's the thing. Your libido is in proportion to how often you engage in sex. And so if you increase your sexual activity, your libido will increase and you'll desire sex more. If you don't have you know, sex regularly, your libido decreases. And so you don't just wait for when you're in the mood. And this is why you go through and you have a sex schedule. You know, it's, uh, as time on the calendar when you're going to have sex, regardless of whether or not you're in the mood. You know, that way you are ensuring because you may not be in the mood, but your partner is, right? And you got to be as concerned about their sexual needs as you are about your own sexual needs. Another issue that you may be experiencing is that you're too focused on technique, right? Now, sex is something that is kind of sloppy. It's passionate. It's raw, right? But some people go off and they think too much about their technique. And instead of spending their time just enjoying sex and enjoying the experience, they're lost in their own head thinking about it. Oh, what am I going to do next? And, you know, how is this technique working? Should I change it up just a little bit? You know, um, this is, you know, a technique that I read about, but I'm not too sure of. And so I'm just trying to focus so much on, you know, what, how I'm doing this and what I'm doing rather than just going through and enjoying. And when you get lost in your head, that's when you kind of lose the sexual pleasure, right? For guys, if we get lost in our head thinking too much about technique, we can end up, you know, going soft, right? And then, you know, when that happens, you know, women may have the first thought of, uh oh, what's wrong? Do I not feel good enough? Am I not pleasuring him enough? And all that. And it kind of ruins the experience for both of you. If women get lost in their head, they're not able to orgasm. They're, they don't lubricate, you know, as much. They start drying out and then sex becomes kind of, well, it becomes kind of 
sore, uncomfortable. And then the guy, you know, and it would cause the guy, you know, increased friction to get off sooner. But then the guy is left, well, why didn't you really enjoy that? And also, stop putting so much focus and thought into your technique. Just be raw with it. Just go with whatever feels natural to you. All right. Another issue that you may be having is the way you're initiating sucks. You know, it, it gets easy in uh, long-term relationships to just go, I'm horny. Let's go. Right. To just, Hey, I'm horny. Grab, grab your partner's hand and drag them in to the bedroom. Now, while that can be fun from time to time, if that's your entire way of initiating sex each and every time. Yeah. No wonder, uh, you know, your partner may not be, you know, as excited. You're not warming them up, you know, just grabbing the leg, you know, start kissing on the neck, start uh, groping each other right away. You know, you're trying to score on the first move, you know, and there should be some time to build up to it. Or you're just kind of sulking and you're giving your partner the silent treatment, you know, letting them know that. You're really upset that they're not, you know, going off and stripping naked right then and there, right? So you need to think about, you know, initiating sex better. And, you know, you should really think about initiation as kind of something you do all day, every day. You know, this is the romantic touching. This is the hugging. This is the spending time together, even just talking with each other. You know, you want to go through and just build, you know, a purposeful, intimate uh, relationship. And therefore, you know, because you've spent, you know, all day, every day kind of building up and initiating in some respect, then your partner will be more ready to go when the mood strikes. In fact, you may find out that as you pay more attention to them, be more flirtatious with them and kind of doing some teasing throughout the day that your partner may not wait until you decide that it's time to initiate. Your partner may just all of a sudden, and you know, your low libido partner may all of a sudden just go, you know what? I can't wait. We're going right now. I'm horny. You got me. Let's go. You know, kind of things, you know, like that in some respect, but you know, again, you know, you got to think about how you're initiating and not just go, okay, the mood strikes on me. You must be ready on a dime with no warm up to it. Another issue that you will have is too much focus on the orgasm, the goal. You know, if the guy is, you know, so focused on your orgasm, he's going to be trying to monitor everything about you know, about your expressions, how you may be feeling, especially if you're not the type that communicates a lot. And being focused on this and trying to read you may try and switch up, you know, positions, may try and switch up, you know, angles and speed and all that. And all of those change-ups may actually ruin the orgasm while trying to focus on how to build to that orgasm, you know? Because at some point you need to provide a consistent, you know, constant, you know, pleasurable feeling. And if you're doing that and then you switch it up, well, that could end up ruining the orgasm. 
especially uh, if she is close. And uh, for you women out there, you know, you may be focused, you know, solely on him getting off. And so you're going off and you're just putting uh, all of your focus on, you know, his sexual pleasure and all that. And then if he doesn't have it, then you're, you know, kind of taking offense to it. You're thinking, oh, my God, what did I do wrong? You know, but if you're having lots of sex, you may not get off, you know, each and every time. You know, especially if you're having so much sex, you leave them empty. You know, he's already ejaculated everything that was in reserves and has nothing left to blow, right? And, you know, for women, depending on how often you have sex, it's going to be hard to have an orgasm each and every time, especially if you have sex on a near daily basis. I mean, I don't know of anybody out there who can have an orgasm seven days a week, right? Now, maybe there is, maybe there is. You know, and maybe that's, you know, younger, but, you know, in general, you're not going to have an orgasm every time. Just think about it as more fun and enjoyable. Don't, you know, be so focused on the end result. Plus, when you're so focused on the end result, your mind gets in the way of you being able to have that orgasm, you know, which is related to another problem of you taking it too seriously. You think it needs to be like the movies, you know steamy, passionate every single time. It is a serious endeavor. No, it is, you know, it can be sloppy. It can be, you know, average. It can be clumsy. You can, you know, do things that ends up causing you to laugh and just having fun with it, just kind of trying out a whole bunch of new things. You know, it's not, you know, something that you need to be overly serious about and that this is a serious matter in which you are not a lot, you know, supposed to be laughing and you're not supposed to, you know, be doing things like tickling each other during sex and all of that. It is a very serious matter. No, no, it is what it is. You, you need to just be you during sex, you know, a fun loving, you know, you. Another mistake that you may be making is you're focusing so much on your partner and when you're doing so, you know, you're basically using your partner's pleasure as an ego boost. And so, you know, there are some people out there that are definitely givers. Oh, I got a child up there stomping on the floor. But yeah, there are people out there who are just givers who for some reason don't really care about or concerned about their own pleasure. They're just out there and they only concern about their spouse's pleasure. Now, this is usually, you know, women who are, you know, just because of natural tendencies who are more focused on their husband's pleasures than their, than they are their own pleasure. But this creates a problem. If your only focus is on your partner's pleasure and you're not actually allowing yourself to, you know, really feel the pleasure and enjoy the moment, your partner can actually feel bad, you know, thinking that they don't provide you any pleasure and that they are failing to provide for your sexual needs. You know, now that doesn't mean be selfish, you know, and yeah, there are some people out there who are selfish sexually, but it does mean that you need to keep uh, within proportion 
you know, a focus on both of your pleasures, right? It's not about his pleasure or her pleasure. It's about, you know, our pleasure, right? And, you know, you shouldn't have your ego tied to whether or not your partner has an orgasm, you know, or how much they express how, you know, pleasurable everything feels. You shouldn't have your ego wrapped in that because then your ego is going to be constantly up and down between, you know, uh, sex, you know, on a time when she or he really, you know, had a lot of pleasure and, you know, he blew a massive load or she had a, you know, a mind numbing orgasm. You feel great. And then the next time it's, you know, just a little one or you couldn't quite reach orgasm and you feel down. I mean, you, that constant up and down is not healthy, you know, so don't be thinking of, you know, how much pleasure your partner has as a reflection of your ego, you know, our cockiness. Okay. Another thing is you're just leaving it in the bedroom. Yes, this can be, you know, going off and having sex outside of the bedroom, you know, on the couch, on the table, on the floor, out in the backyard, depending on where you live, you know, but this is also, you know, the flirting, right? So, you know, I've talked about grabbing each other's butts and all of that, you know, before, but some of you just think, okay, I'll drag her to the bedroom and then I'll start flirting and groping, you know, uh, with them. No, 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 you need to be doing this throughout the day, you know, throughout the house, you know, maybe you're walking by, you know, um, your spouse in the kitchen and, you know, you just give them a little spanking on the butt. Now smack that ass, right? You know, little things like that or give a nice little grope on the butt cheeks or just come up behind them and, you know, with from behind with your arms going up front. You know, these little flirting things that lets your partner know that they are, you know, still sexually desirable to you and that just the mere sight of them turns you on, right? Don't just leave that into the bedroom, right? Now, another issue is superficial sex. That's right. You know, superficial sex is just, you know, penetration and focus on orgasms. But sex can be so much more than just a pleasure and orgasm. It has the potential to be soul-enriching and life-affirming experience. A fulfilling sex life isn't only what happens between you physically. It's you know about you emotionally, mentally, spiritually. You know, it's about your whole self. It doesn't just feel good. It nourishes you. It nourishes, you know, your life, your state of being. Your sex life can be have incredible depths to it if you take the time to be intentional, you know, and not just be about, okay, it's sexes when we're naked and our genitals feel great. You know, it's so much more than that. Okay. Now, looking at this, you know, there were still plenty of things that I wanted to get to today. But if I keep going, this is going to get to be a really long podcast episode. So I think I'm just going to go ahead, wrap it up there, and save the other items for the next episode. 
All right, so I'd like to thank you so much for tuning in today. Your time and attention means the world to me, and I hope I'm providing you a lot of value in ways that you can really improve upon your relationship so that you have happy, healthy, fulfilling lives. All right, thank you so much, and I will be back again soon.